Wonder how that woman came up with her cool idea and turned it into a business? Listen in to find out how. Welcome to Women Inspired. I'm your host, Linda Ugalo. And in this show, we'll get an inside look into how changemakers, artists, healers, and entrepreneurs take their dreams into action. And my guest today is Eve Kodiak. Welcome, Eve. Well, thank you for having me, Linda. And Eve, you know, I look at all that you do in your life, and you are a real Renaissance woman. <laughs> you're a musician, you're a healer, you're an educator, you're a movement specialist, and a writer. Like, tell us about, like, are you doing all those things right now? Is, do you do them sequentially, simultaneously? Well, I think that's very sweet of you to call me a Renaissance person. I think um, the idea of a Renaissance person is that they're all sort of the same thing. That um, I'm sure Da Vinci didn't think of himself as a whole bunch of different categories. And really, you want to do something. You have a vision, you want to get something across, and you just take whatever skills and ideas and inspirations you have and use those. And you don't think about putting yourself in a box like, oh, I can't do th this because I'm a that. Mm -hmm. We just are what we are. Mm -hmm. So you do all these things. So yes. um, are you doing all these things right now? Like, or how do you put them together? How do you make it work? Well, um, it really just depends on the project. Um, I have a healing practice at the Lydian Center in Cambridge. and um, That's Cambridge, Massachusetts. Cambridge, Massachusetts. Mm -hmm. And I use a lot of different modalities for that. I do brain gym movement work with reflex integration, craniosacral. I use music, I have a um, piano in my office and tuning forks and um, I do a modality called Satnam Rasayan. So it just really depends on who walks in the door. If I get a four-year-old, I have lots of toys and we might just play the whole time. Or um, sometimes someone will be on the table and I'll just get an inspiration and I'll play a song on the piano that seems like it would have meaning for them or you know things just come and go as they go so that's that um, in terms of um, working with children and um, I um, have some CD book sets out and that sort of developed as um, I have a, long, a background in early childhood education, years and years and years and years of doing um, piano teaching and Dalcros and different kinds of, of of movement work with kids and kind of as the years went on I started doing this in the 70s and, um, and I just noticed that the children seemed more and more and more challenged by the time I got to the 90s it was like a totally different kind of child and that's when I started getting interested in brain development because I thought you know this, this kid does not need to know where middle C is this kid cannot find the bench what is going on here and so that's when I got involved in craniosacral therapy and brain gym, um, reflex integration. And I started finding these different modalities weren't talking to each other, like the OTs and the brain gym people didn't understand anything about music and maybe weren't comfortable with music. And as an early childhood music person, I really knew how music could really organize the brain, organize the body, get things going. And so I started putting together the knowledge I had from one field into another and came up with these um, songs and games that would 
integrate movement while doing music so that they could be used by musicians or they could mm -hmm. use by classroom teachers, they could be by OTs or by anybody that, that, that there was, you could plug in at any place and get the whole package. Mm -hmm. So, so how, how do um, these educators or parents or occupational therapists um, use what you've created? You've made CDs and booklets. Do you also give workshops? Or? Yes. Mm -hmm. Well, um, I do workshops. Um, people find me through Brain Gym because that's my license. I also um, have a book out here. It's called Rapping on the Reflexes. And there, are, there is a CD in the back. And this is, this is really interesting how this, this came to be. Um, I had no idea what reflexes were. This was in, I think, 2003 that I discovered reflexes at a brain gym conference. And what is a reflex? Reflexes are a movement language that we all know. It's universal and it is um, instinctual. And so, um, so you might just ask yourself, well, how do babies know how to do anything? How do they know how to be in the womb and do all the things they do in there? How do they know how to um, get out of the womb? How do they know how to breathe? How do they know how to eat? How, they can't think these things through. They just sort of need to they know them. They just know them. They yeah. just know them. Yeah. And we all have these movement programs coded in. And um, they are for survival. And they're wonderful. And there's dozens of them. I mean, we talk about them as as reflexes and they have names like the asymmetrical tonic neck reflex or the Babkin palmamental reflex. Oh my gosh, <laughs> these are big names. <laughs> but basically, it's just a whole lot of movements uh -huh. that babies know how to do and they do at different times. And when you do, like the asymmetrical tonic neck reflex, okay, that's a long name, but it really means asymmetrical, well, going to one side, tonic is the, the muscles, right, and the neck is, we know what the neck is. and so. It means that if you turn, if you're going to look to the side, and if you're a baby, your arm's going to go out, and then you're going to look at your fingers and say, oh, you won't even know necessarily that they're yours. And it's developing eye-hand coordination. You're getting information through one, you know, activating the opposite side of the brain. A lot is happening, and then it turns into turning over. It's, it's, it has a lot to do with cognition and it's always implicated in dyslexia. It's a very important reflex. And there are dozens of these little teeny movements. Mm. And you might see that. Um, and we return to those movements under stress because as we grow and change, um, we start developing more and more complicated neural networks. Like these uh, reflexes are back here in the basal ganglia. Um, and, but as we, we start to move more, we start to get, because movement grows the brain, we get neural networks going to all different parts of our brain, and we start to have more movement choices. But when we're under stress, we'll return to the reflexive mode. So you might have seen this on the highway. Somebody's back to the asymmetrical tonic neck reflex. Okay, somebody is driving, there's a lot of traffic, and they look over this way, and how many times does the wheel go? Uh, That's the asymmetrical tonic neck uh -huh. reflex, because it's this. When my head turns, my shoulder and arm turn that way too. And when I'm under stress, I don't have the independence. I don't have the option of not moving the whole program at once. Uh -huh. And this can cause a lot of problems down the line. It causes a lot of problems um, in school, for instance, where kids um, can't sit still. 
let's get back to the asymmetrical tonic neck reflex again. So if this, this kid is in stress and maybe they haven't moved enough, you know, maybe they didn't have um, enough time out of those car seats and they, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. um, which are really bad, but we won't go there. But anyhow, <laughs> you've got these, uh, this child and he still is in this place where every time he looks this direction, he goes this way. And so you'll see kids on their desks, like reading books like this, or when they're writing, they go off to the side. And sometimes you have kids who even just like can't even sit on their chairs. They fall off sideways. Mm. Those are all indications that this movement program has not been regulated and um, not been integrated and basically not practiced enough. Mm -hmm. and so what your program does is help it's a fun way, it must be fun, because yeah. it's, it's a fun way to kind of um, play with those basic elements of movement that then bring children into a place of more regulation, more... Yeah, well, we turn it into songs and games, because uh -huh. that's my background. So what do you think about? What kinds of things do you do sideways? Well, how about baseball, right? So... There's, in here, there's, there's a rap called Baseball Buggy. Uh -huh. All right, so let's see. I'm going to warn the camera people. Can I stand up? Can you follow me if I stand up? All right, I'm going to stand up. One, two, three, go. Good. <laughs> there. You get my head? <laughs> All right, so I'm going to kneel down so you can Watch see me. for the cord. Here's the cord. All right, great. So um, we can pretend we have a, uh, a ball. We're catching a ball. So look up to the left. You know, catch that fly, look down to the right, grab that grounder, coming down the middle, catch the ball, throw it up high. So what we're doing is you're doing this reflex, and you're doing this reflex, and it's fun, and you're singing, and you're moving, and that starts to myelinate these pathways to different parts of your brain, and you start to get choice. Because we learn through joy. We learn when it's fun. And if it's fun, we're safe, because we can't learn unless we're, not, we're safe. And so if you're safe and you're moving, you're having fun, and you're starting, which is really what life is supposed to be about. Um, so yeah. creating that situation over and over again for yeah. kids. Yeah, that's great. So this is for kids as opposed to adults. Um, well, reflex integration is actually for everybody. Mm -hmm. And there are many ways of doing it. This is a, a kid way. Mm -hmm. um, in, um, I'm working on a new project now called Listen in Live. It's actually an old project. Here's that one. Um, it's this a pilot version of it, but it's for literacy. Um, but it also involves reflex integration. And there's a really fun game in there for the moral reflex. We've all heard of fight or flight, right? So, and um, when you come out of, in, in a normal vaginal birth, the head drops and then the arms fly out, and you get your first breath. And then you go, and that's the first two parts of the moral reflex. But what happens a lot in life is that we get stuck at the, and we never go, and this is hysteria. These are the overactive, reactive kids. You know, they're running around, their arms are up in moral reflex, they're hitting things, they're hitting kids without even knowing it, they're knocking things over. Um, anytime I show this in a workshop, the teachers recognize it immediately. Oh, that's so-and-so, so-and-so, so-and-so. This, this kind of thing. 
because they haven't done this. Mm -hmm. So there's a game uh, called um, Something's Coming Towards Me that I, I did for kids, but adults can do it too. And it goes, something's coming towards me. <gasps> it's a monster! So here we are. We've got the intake of breath. And then we let go of the breath. <sighs> it's just a sock under my bed. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's funny that you say that because I can think of so many times, and I've done this too, like I'll go, <gasps> and my daughter will say, what's the matter? You know, it's kind of like we have this big reaction to something, maybe it's something we forgot to do, or um, something that just came into our mind, but we tend to make this kind of big thing about it. And in fact, we're probably stressing ourselves out. Well, what happens, it's, it's, it's not we're making a big thing about it. It like the, the survival brain is registering that we might die, like imminently. And uh -huh. we need to go, ah! and it's yeah. like we're there. And unless we go like this. Yes, you have to we, exhale. Yeah, you have to exhale. Unless you exhale, the, the, the survival brain is thinking, uh-oh, I'm about to die. I'm mm -hmm. about to die. I'm mm -hmm. about to die. I'm about to die. <laughs> yeah. I think this has a lot of ramifications for everyone who lives a life where there are deadlines, exactly. where we are overscheduled, that you know, we're trying to do lots of different things and we don't know where to go first. So we're, we put ourselves in a place of um, overwhelm or paralysis, perhaps maybe paralysis is a little different, but that we tend to forget that we can exhale and... Right. Just right. breathe and relax. Yeah. Yeah. So getting back to your question about adults, so this is a great game. I've done this with, with groups of, uh, of adults, too. So we go, something coming toward me. <gasps> it's my taxes! <laughs> <sighs> taxes? <laughs> and it's a great game. Yeah. I invite all of you to try it. It really, it really is a fun thing to do in a group or just by yourself going, <gasps> it's this! <sighs> it's only that. And... I did this, um, the first time I tried this in a group, it was at um, a facility um, in Boston called Horizons for Homeless Children. And there were a bunch of four-year-olds in a preschool. And you can imagine it's a little bit chaotic with that. And I just went around the room with these little, little kids. And they all got a turn to go, something's coming towards me. <gasps> it's a this, <sighs> it's a that. And it was amazing. They loved it. They like loved it, loved it, loved it, loved it. And the whole energy just went <sighs> quieted down. Mm. Mm. It was amazing. And then we could work. Yeah. And that's a lot of what I'm doing with, with this work is just saying, okay, what do we need to do to get to our baseline of peace and tranquility so we're 100% present and we can actually do what we need to do? and not try and um, make something work on top of, of an inner chaos, because that never works, it never mm. works, it never works. Mm -hmm. Which mm -hmm. is one of the reasons, adding to my list of things that I do, I became a yoga instructor this year. Oh, okay. <laughs> became a Kundalini yoga instructor, um, because of the breathing, partly. I just thought, I need more ways to breathe. I need, and, um, and, uh, and I found that there were a lot of techniques that you could use that would be really helpful um, in that. I was finding that it was helping me with my life. Mm -hmm. so, um, yeah. So let me ask you, like, you've gotten into all these different permutations of, um, you know, helping children and adults overcome challenges and stress in their life and 
how did you, how did this even come to be? Like, where did the idea come from? And how did you take steps to make it happen? Because you have a very broad practice right now. But where did it start from? Well, I've always loved children and working with children. Um, and I've always loved music. So like, music is the baseline. Like, you know, if you, you get back to what I am, it's a musician. Mm. Um, and then I had a kid when I was 40. <laughs> and um, my son was having a lot of trouble nursing. And everybody told me I should put him on formula, and, and which he was because I couldn't make enough milk, but and feed him on a bottle and give up trying to nurse. And I wasn't willing to do that. And um, it was one of those times when, you know, tiger mom wins. I actually, <laughs> about two months into You're the a tiger process, mom. <laughs> <laughs> I was then. I found a, um, a craniosacral therapist. And after that, he was. So what, I mean, lots of people probably have never heard of craniosacral therapy. Can you just briefly yes, say what that is? Yes, craniosacral therapy is a very, very, very light touch, hands-on modality. Um, here, it's about that amount of pressure. Uh-huh, so very light. Very light. It's like the weight of a nickel, five grams or less. Sometimes I don't even touch the person, honestly. Mm -hmm. um, and what you're doing with, the reason for that is that when there's a very, very light touch, getting back to the survival system, um, the muscles don't say, oh, I need to, I need to push back because there's a, you know, there's a threat here. If there's a very light touch, usually, unless there's um, sensory issues, which is more and more the case, so that will put that aside. But normally, um, or what used to be normal, a light touch is not disturbing to the system, and it will, um, and so, and then what we do is track the movement of cerebrospinal fluid. I'm going to swivel my chair around here so I can. So that system runs from the sacrum, craniosacral, right, up to the cranium. There is a pool of um, cerebrospinal fluid down there in the pelvis and another one in the brain. And the, the fluid pulses up the spine and down at the rate of about once per second. And um, so it kind of goes up and then it goes down. And that movement is, it doesn't change. It's not like respiratory system, like you <laughs> get You breathe. can change your breathing, but yeah. you don't change the cerebral no. spinal if, if, if that changes, you're in deep trouble. Mm -hmm. um, and so by following that flow, um, there's a, a, the, the spine and the brain are all encased in this very thick, um, tough, tissue called dura. It's, so it's like a closed hydraulic system with cerebrospinal fluid and it cushions the spine and the brain and it's this beautiful little tidal system we have. So craniosacral uh, therapy tracks that flow and we can tell kind of with our hands when there's interruptions in the flow that there's, okay, there's a kink in the dura or, or the fascia, which is this, like if you go like this to your hand or any place, you know, that jiggle. Mm -hmm. Whatever's jiggling under there, that's the fascia. It's a whole body stocking we have of, mm -hmm. of these cells that talk to each other. It's amazing. The body's just amazing. Mm -hmm. And it's all electrical and all talks. So you track that. And by tracking that, um, you can see, like, if there's a kink in the garden hose, the, the fluid isn't flowing. Right. 
how can you unkink the hose right. with very so light pressure? So is that what they did with your son? Yeah, yeah. Um, the, the practitioner just, she said, it just looked like she was holding him. And suddenly I looked at him and his jaw was different. Because often when there's a problem with the baby, nursing is, um, they aren't getting a good latch because he had a big overbite. I just thought, okay, he has an overbite. When she finished with him, he didn't have a big overbite. <laughs> he looked a lot more normal. Um, not that he wasn't normal, but he was beautiful. But like one eye was bigger than the other. There were all these asymmetries that mm -hmm. I noticed in the baby pictures. And I think, wow, that's a sign that, that, that there was some, you know, rearranging in the birth process, mm. which often happens. Mm -hmm. And so because of that, eventually he could nurse, and I was totally tuned into that. And it wasn't something that just stops to get the baby nursing. It's a really healthy thing to do. And mm -hmm. then the therapist moved away. And when kids start running around, you can't really... Um, it's a, I, I do cranial work on kids all the time on the fly, but it's, it's, mm -hmm. it's a real skill. So when you saw this work done on your son and the change it made, is that what kind of inspired you to study it? And well, it, what inspired me to study it was that the, the therapist and I moved away from each other, and he was two, and there was just no way I was going to truck him all over town and then take him to a therapist who couldn't wor work with him because he was running all over. So I thought I can work with him in bed at night if I learn this. So I learned how to do <laughs> craniosacral therapy to work on my son at night when he was asleep and was not so much of a problem to work on. And... Um, and um, it just sort of developed into a profession, uh -huh. you know, and then... Um, so it wasn't like you said, oh, I want to learn this and I'm going to go out and... No. It was I more have, of an organic process. I, have, I had never any intention of that, and I'm still sort of um, a healer on the side, even though it's my, it's my day job. I'm, like, really a musician, but um, I do this. Um, it's kind of like <laughs> it, some musicians may have a... a a job in the restaurant, you have a I have a job, job in the healing in center. In the healing center. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Where I, I use music. And it really, it, it really all is a kind of music. And it's very interesting because the craniosacral therapy really changed my touch on the piano. I have a totally different technique when mm -hmm. I play the piano than I ever did. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't have no idea how to teach it or any, but, mm -hmm. but there's a way of you're just drawing energy. It, it, this idea that there's already energy in the system and you are just working with the energy that's there as opposed to pouring energy into something. Mm -hmm. I don't use that anymore. And I started, actually injured my hand at one point. I was doing a recording. It was my first um, CD and I just overdid as we do. And I hurt my hand, which I never do, but I did. Um, and... Um, and then as, so I took a month off from the recording, and then as I was starting back into playing again, I, it was a, a CD called Meditations on a New Year's Day, and I was playing, you know, trying to create all these different instruments on the piano. So I was trying to create a harp, sound of a harp on the piano. And as I was playing the harp sound on the piano, I realized that instead of stressing out my, my hand and my arm, I was actually feeling better. Like this movement, of playing was actually healing me. Wow. It was amazing. And so I started exploring that and it totally changed yeah. my sound, my technique, everything. So That's you never cool. know where things are yeah. going to go. So I'm thinking, you know, for people listening and who have, you know, things that they're, they find they're really interested in or they are maybe already pursuing, you've pursued so many 
you know, you've created so many projects and you've pursued different um, avenues. Like, what has helped you kind of put your dreams into like manifesting them, making them happen? Like, what what's your your way of doing that? My way of doing that is jumping in and not stopping until it's done. And if I do that, I get a project done. And if I don't do that, they go on for years and years like listening live. Oh. So. <laughs> it's kind of like the sweater that you start knitting and then 12 years later, it's still in the closet. Yeah, because uh -huh. I have a lot of trouble. Um, I can see A to Z and I can see A to B. Mm -hmm. I cannot see A to C. Hmm. Um, I don't seem to have the capacity. I mean, I. Or I could see A, B, C, D, E, and then I, by the time I get to B, I'm not interested in C anymore. I want to go to G. Mm. You know, I'm, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm so, um, and in terms of like being an entrepreneur, it's again, I have to sort of do it by pretending I'm not doing it. I'm trying to change that, but just to be very honest, I don't consider myself particularly successful in that way because, um, I lose interest and I want to do something else. Um, so, um, but the projects are successful. You mm -hmm. know, the, um, so, it just depends how you're measuring your success. Yes, well that's a good question. How would you like to measure your success or how do you measure your success? Um, just by touching people. You know, how many, mm. if somebody's life is a little better because they've come in contact with me or, or some of my music or some of my books or mm -hmm. if, if, if their frequency goes up, if they feel sparkly, if they feel happy, mm -hmm. anybody. Um, and I feel, I, don't, I mean, I feel that way if I go, to, I try and do that. Like when I go to the grocery store, I try and make eye contact with the, with the clerk mm -hmm. or, you know, the, the cashier or, um, and I try and look at every interaction as an important interaction. Um, that actually, this is what we're here for—to be mm. kind to one another. So, mm. if if the work I do can help people, you know, release from the <gasps> and go to, <sighs> so they can just kind of get to their baseline of being a nice person, that's my success. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, if you were going to pick um, one word or quality that you feel like is really useful to cultivate as an entrepreneur to keep going, what might it be? Compassion. Compassion. Yes. Because if you're, if you, which is different from empathy. Empathy gets you in trouble. I mean, I'm not dissing empathy, um, but your ego gets involved anytime there's empathy. It's like, oh, and then I feel it, and then it's me. It's not about them anymore. And then it, 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 it lessens your effectiveness. But compassion gives you the ability to, to perceive a need and respond to it from a place of um, non-attachment, really, mm -hmm. of, of, of maximum effectiveness by just calling in the forces of the, you know, the emptiness of the universe, really, to, mm -hmm. to come in and that trust that it's not me, that this person has their own way of going there and I'm facilitating. And I think that's true of of everything. Mm. So it seems like um, we're almost out of time for our show and I just want to make sure that people know how to get in touch with you. 
Yes, well, um, you can check me out at a very ancient website called evekodiak.com. And that's K-O-D-I-A-K. -E we'll put that in the show K-O-D-I-A-K.com. And if you want to write to me, you just fill out the contact form and I will respond. And if I don't respond, write to me again because it disappeared. Okay. Well, thank you so much for coming on today. This was great listening to all of your amazing endeavors. Well, thank you for inviting me. I always love talking to you, Linda. Thank you for listening to Women Inspired. The show is recorded live in the studios of Bedford TV in Massachusetts. Music courtesy of Sheik Gamin. If you like this episode, please leave a review or comment. You can subscribe to the podcast in iTunes or watch all the TV episodes of Women Inspired with the show notes and links at www.lindayugalo.com forward slash TV. Thank you.